Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello, everyone. This is Elia with the Spectrum Strategy Group, and welcome. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about transition planning. Um, so this is the part of my mini course where we talk about sort of where we've been headed all along is, right, transitioning to being an adult, what does uh, post-high school life look like? And this is the process and the document that helps plan for all of that. Uh, so, so I like to think of this as I call it transition with a capital T because it's the big transition process and it is a formal process if you have a student on an IEP. Um, and so I have uh, another podcast with Kelly Challen that talks about preparing for transition planning. So it, it talks about assessments, it talks about what to look for, and uh, definitely check that out as as uh, an add-on to this particular um, podcast uh, episode. But what I, again, just like I've been doing in the last um, few episodes, I'm talking about particularly the form. And again, you know, using that form as part of the process uh, for transition planning and how to actually um, put all the information in, what things are going to be looked for, kind of uh, give you a heads up of what to expect during that process. So when we talk about transition planning, uh, this again federally uh, needs to start at the age of 16. Now there are many states, I believe there's at least, I think there's 28 of them, <laughs> that um, start the process at age 14. So I would say, you know, always better to do things earlier. 14 kind of makes sense because that's when most students are entering ninth grade, entering high school. So it's a, it's a good time to start start thinking about what skills do we need to implement so that the student is prepared for post high school life, right? So we have four years or give or take um, to kind of get all of that done. And so some states actually break it down from the transition for eighth to ninth grade, such as New Hampshire. Um, others, uh, it happens maybe in that ninth grade year. Uh, so at 14, if that kind of falls, um, you know, where the birth depending on where the birthday falls. Um, but either way, this process has to at least start at the age of 16. And so, and even if you're, you know, in one of those states where it doesn't start until 16, I would suggest thinking about this anyway, because, right, this is where we're headed. And um, the only way that we can get the transition plan completed is by using the IEP as the vehicle for delivering the transition plan. So, 
The way it works is we create the transition plan at 14 or 16, depending. And then based on that transition plan, we pull out goals from there that we put on the IEP so that we can actually do the work and break it down into all of those measurable steps, as we've talked about before. So we can look at all of that. Um, But if you create a transition plan and the form is beautiful, but you don't take the goals on there and move them over to the IEP so that they can get worked on, uh, there'll be, uh, most likely, (laughs) there will be a fall there. So you need to make sure that whatever um, gets included in the transition planning form those goals get moved over to the IEP so that we can work on them. Again, this is why having more time is better than not. And also thinking about some of uh, what we're going to talk about in a minute, if we think about those pieces, we can start kind of creating the plan even if the student is not yet 16 or not yet 14 even. Um, And we can start thinking about those in advance. Okay. So what I will include in this podcast description is a bunch of resources. So I have a sample transition plan um, by Understood, again, so a really uh, interesting and helpful document. Also, Illinois has a set of guidelines, um, sort of, again, like a workbook that you can look through. New Hampshire has a a planning form, Um, so it's actually a worksheet to help you create the transition planning form for a student. So I have I will have that there for you. Uh, New Hampshire also includes with that a sample IEP. So you can look at uh, a sample of how one would be written for a student. And then Georgia also has uh, a really good sort of step-by-step guide plan with samples in there as well. Um, so I'm trying to find you know resources from different states uh, so that way you can uh, look at them. Um, they all have the same components because legally they have to have the same components. Um, but so transition planning even more so than any of the other processes we've talked about right now. Um, Everybody kind of does it a little bit differently, uh, but all the components are there. So they might be in a different order. Uh, they might be placed in a different part of the form itself, uh, depending on what software they use, because there's all sorts of software uh, that can be used for special education. So all of those things are going to make it look a little bit uh, perhaps different than what you are used to seeing maybe in your own state. But again, as I always say, I encourage you to look up your own state. Uh, and just type in the state that you're in. So California transition planning form for special education, maybe something like that. And you should be able to find some examples. Uh, And then uh, if not the actual form, you should also be able to get this from your own school district. Um, So you are able to look at it whenever. So you don't have to wait until the, the transition planning process starts to look at that document so that you know what's coming. And then I would suggest uh, doing that. Uh, and there are lots of different resources out there for gathering data. And that's what Kelly and I talk about in a previous podcast about how to collect data to know where your student or child is at so that you know what goals to put on the transition planning form. Um, so highly encourage you to check out that uh episode. And there's a lot of resources there that Kelly has given us both free and paid uh, so that you can um, get some more support in completing this process. But 
I'd like to take you through the transition planning form. Um, and again, you might want to print out one of the samples that I gave you or maybe print out or look at uh, the one for your particular state. But uh, you know, I, I'm going to go through the components as I am most familiar with them. Um, but all of these components are on any uh, on any transition planning form. So transition planning services are mandated again by federal and state law, and it should again be happening through the high school years. And it's for students on an IEP. So if your child is not on an IEP, this uh, this process will not apply to them. So if they're on a 504, that won't, this transition planning process won't happen. So just keep that in mind. Um, and it is meant to transition to adulthood. So that could be post-secondary education. It could be employment and independent living or a combination of all of those pieces. So those are the things we need to think about on this uh, form and during this plan, part of the planning process. Okay, so one thing we have to remember, the reason why this form is so important is there are no IEPs for adulthood, right? So <laughs> once our kiddos graduate and move on, whether that's 17, 18, or 22, uh, what is going to happen after that? And we need to start kind of looking ahead to see what, uh, what the future may hold so that we can plan for that. So there will be no IEP that follows students, whether it's in college or whether it's in employment or anything else um, that will follow them. However, if we create a training, uh, uh, transition process, then we can start planning for what that post-high school life will look like. And yes, there are different accommodations that can be put into place, whether they go to uh, college or some other post high school education or whether they are employed. So those things can be put in place. However, um, some of that could actually be an outcome of the transition planning process. So we could say that um, during, you know, the senior year in high school, we need to make sure we apply or, um, you know, become or become aware of what the disability services uh, program is for a particular college, or maybe that's how we decide on a college or some other uh, post-high school education. Or if we're looking at a job, what type of services do they offer for those with a disability, and would that be the right place for someone to get, uh, to get a job at? So those are all the things that we can put into place in a transition plan. And again, this transition plan gets looked at every year and it will get refined as we meet those goals right so again the earlier we start thinking about this the more we can get done <laughs> um but, uh, you know, we will do one thing in ninth grade, we'll do something else in 10th, something else in 11th, something else senior year. Um, if we have a gap year or if we have an extended high school years, um, then again, all of that can get planned during this time. Um, and once a student graduates, the transition plan is done. So there's no more transition plan. There's no more IEP. Um, so once we've all decided on a graduation date, and that date comes and the student gets a diploma, all of these things are done. So we need to make sure that uh, we do what we need to do to have this student ready post-graduation. Okay, so um, 
as we look at the transition planning form, uh, at the very top, again, we have this same information that's on everything that we've talked about so far, the student's name, uh, maybe there's a student ID, their age, the date of the form, um, and then we have in here uh, anticipated, anticipated date of graduation. And then also we have on here the current dates of the IEP. So we want to make sure that, again, this document is working alongside the IEP. So we want to make sure that this transition planning form and process are falling within the dates of the IEP uh, process as well. Okay, so um, we also have to look here at any other services that the student may need post high school. So are we thinking that the student might need housing support? Will they need uh, disability services from the state or from the federal government? So again, if those are things that we might be anticipating and we might not know yet, very true, at 14 we won't know, 15 we might not know. Um, but if we think that that might be a thing, um, then we need to start looking at that and figuring out how do we assess uh, if the student might need additional housing, employment, or um, you know some sort of benefit beyond their high school years once they reach adulthood. Now, the next important part of this document is the vision statement. So there is a vision statement that asks... Now, the vision statement can look different depending on the form, um, but basically is what is the student's vision post high school um, or post secondary education. And so it can be broken down uh, into what are their post secondary education, you know, schooling kind of uh, goals. So do are they looking to go to a two-year school or a four-year school or maybe a vocational school after high school or maybe there's another training program? So those could be some of it. Some of it is employment. So we would put in here, what kind of work does the student see themselves doing? What would they like to do? What field would they like to work on? What are the things that interest them? Under this vision statement, we also have what does independent living look like for them? So we need to really think about this. What does independent living look like? And uh, if they can't live independently, how do we make them as independent as possible? And what are the supports we need to look for to get there? Or perhaps they can uh, live independently, but we still need to work on some skills before we get to that. So let's plan for that. The other piece that falls under here is future community participation. So uh, how does the student see themselves interacting with the community around them? Uh, and also, you know, are there any other services that the student might need? Um, and again, we talked about this. Maybe they need to access disability services at a school they might be attending post high school or perhaps it's at an employer. So again, how do we prepare for that piece. Um, so this vision statement is actually pretty huge because this is where we start getting a sense of what is it that the student wants. Now mind, now mind you, you hear me saying, what is the student's vision? So this vision is what they see themselves doing and how they see themselves living and what their community is going to look like and what their day-to-day -day life is going to look like. So this is a big question to ask a 14-year-old, but it's a good place to start. It's a, 
it's a hard question even when you're 16, 17 years old, but maybe they start getting a little bit more of an idea. And if they have no idea up until this point, this is a good place to start having that conversation. And again, there are a lot of tools that Kelly and I talked about in sort of exploring what those uh, visions you know, what that vision looks like and what that future goal looks like. So um, a great place to start having that conversation, especially if we're starting younger, um, definitely something to think about. And um, once we move from that vision statement, now what we want to think about is, I know I keep saying it's the student's vision. Of course, this vision will be influenced by the family and by the educators that are around them. So we need to also make sure that this vision um, is informed by other people working with the student. So we want to make sure that if the student has a particular vision that um, may not align with what educators have seen or what families have seen, then we need to figure out how to bridge that gap, perhaps. Um, Or, you know kind of refinesse and revisit and kind of tease out. So, for example, there might be um, someone who wants to work in, um, you know, let's say uh, I have one. OK, here's an example. I had a, a student that wanted to be in the military and they wanted more than anything to uh, to be in the Air Force. Uh, however, um, given the disability, <laughs> they were not able to um, be in the Air Force in the capacity in which they had expected, right? So they wanted to be a pilot, and that was not going to be a track for this student. However, they found another track, so, right? So the vision was, I want to be a pilot in the Air Force. Um, and while that might be the vision, right, based on informed uh observations from educators and from family and from medical professionals that being a pilot was not going to be the best um, profession and honestly not allowed (laughs) in the Air Force. So what else could we do instead? Um, So we can stay in the Air Force and we can perhaps find another job for you in the Air Force. And so, yes, now they do. um, They actually work with tracking the planes um, in the air. So I'm not really, I'm not well versed in that information, but the, the student found an area and a home and people worked with him to find the right place uh, so that he could still be doing what he loves in the Air Force and still be able to um, to be around the plane. So, and there's different, um, there's a lot of different stories like that. But again, if we don't even know where our student is coming from and where our child is coming from, we can't help kind of figure out what the right path is or, you know, maybe there's an alternate path to get to that desired result. So, again, this vision statement is hugely important. Okay, so um, the next piece here is moving into what are uh, the needs of the student based on their disability. So, um, you know, some things to think about is, well, first, if we're looking at all of these particular areas, you know, post-high school education, employment, independent living, uh, community participation, how are they doing right now? And what are we working on right now? Right. So this is the present levels of performance that come from the IEP, but also we're looking at it here as well. And then 
those should reflect what the disability-related needs are, right? So uh, we need to look at that again and see what the needs are, and let's address how we need to bridge the gap from where they are now, the present levels of performance, to where they need to be in the future for what their desired vision is. And this could be a, a lengthy list, right? We could be looking at social communication. We could be looking at emotional regulation. We could be looking at vocational readiness, um, executive functioning, healthcare, adult daily living, uh, living skills, cooking, right? You know, um, hygiene. Uh, are we looking at self-awareness and self-advocacy? So, uh, so there's a lot of pieces that could fit into here. And we need to look at all of those. Now, obviously, we can't walk out, work on all of it at one time. Uh, so we need to pick what we can, also given the readiness of the, the child or the student, um, and then kind of prioritize, right? So this is why, hopefully, if we see that this is coming, even if we're not in the formal transition uh, place yet, we can kind of start looking at um, addressing some of these even before we get to this place. Right. So uh, those are the areas that we would be looking at. And then, of course, we're going to create an action plan based on those needs. Right. So if we know that uh, a student is not ready to live on their own yet because they don't know how to do their laundry, they don't know how to grocery shop, they don't know how to cook for themselves. OK, well, we can start there and let's start working on those. Now, again, the action plan is how we're going to do it, right? Like what's the next step? Um, now, the goals that come out of this, right, then get moved to the IEP. So there's an action plan here, of course. So we're going to talk about what the area is. So we might say, oh, OK, um, a student needs to learn how to drive. So we need to work on driving skills. So that can be one of the transition services, which is driver's education. But then we need to figure out, we also have here, and I'll talk about that in a minute, is who's sort of responsible for this. So if driver's education is one of them, let's say, or learning how to use some other form of transportation, bus, train, subway, whatever, um, then Who's responsible for doing that? So is it the family? Is it a particular teacher? Is it someone else in the community? Is it a case manager? Um, and whoever that is, that person's name is placed there. But then, of course, this is just one transition area of focus. We need to take the driver's education and now move it to the IEP as a goal and then break down the how we're going to do that and then also put that on the grid like we had talked about last time. So that way we make sure that it gets addressed and looked at regularly. So there's also time frames around this. So we need to know that the student will be able to know how to use public transportation by this date, let's say, and we pick a date. You know, maybe it's a year, maybe it's six months. I don't know. It depends on where the student is at, right? So once we've created this action plan, um, like I said, we have a lot of different ways to meet this action plan. Let's look at the, the community. Let's look at part-time employment. Let's look at volunteer employment. Let's look at job shadowing. Let's look at other family members that might do something similar to what the student's interests are. Let's look at other resources to help um, teach students life skills 
outside of maybe what their norm is. Uh, sometimes that can also make it more interesting and also not that it's always the same group of people helping. So um, looking outside of the main uh, head teacher, let's say, or the special ed teacher, or perhaps the parents, maybe there are other people who can also help with this process. So we want to get really creative on how to build this skill um, or these skill sets of skills, and let's see who else we can enlist to help here. So, like I said, once we've created our action plan, we now move those action plan steps onto the IEP. So, I know that that is a lot of information, um, but I think from here, coupled with the examples that I've uh, put in here for you, as well as the podcast with Kelly Challen, I think all of this will be really helpful to those of you who might be starting this process or who, you know, are already starting to think, oh, maybe my my child is, you know, 11 or 12 and I'm noticing, you know, there's some things and sometimes these things come out of frustration. It's like, wow, I don't know why they don't know how to pick up, you know, their room or clean the dishes after they finished or they um, they can't, you know, put things in the dishwasher, like those types of moments. Um sometimes may have us pause and say, oh, wait, when, how will they be able to do this on their own if I'm not around anymore? Um, and those can be some sobering moments for sure, uh, but it can also be a catalyst for saying, how can I now teach this skill? And then there's so many resources now these days with technology uh, and with uh, being able to reach out, you know, across boundaries of, of, you know, states and all that kind of stuff. We can find resources all over the place. Um, but sometimes we first need that moment of realization that, wow, you know, I know I still I still just wow, I, I really have trouble with this. How, who can I use to help me, you know, learn more or what tool or strategy can I use to be able to manage something that I have difficulty? So, you know, one example for me, as, you know, I think right now many, many of us might be feeling this like I am not a grocery shopper. I never have been. So from from a while back, I had started using Instacart uh, before <laughs> before it was uh, like a thing now because of COVID. And, you know, I'm not pushing Instacart by any means. And, you know, they don't even know I'm talking about them, I'm sure. But um, the thing is, for me, Instacart was a really great way for me to manage my time and also minimize um, external input from going to the grocery store um, because it's a lot of information. There's a lot of people. And and for me, that works really well. And there's so many other ways to get food delivered now. It's so much easier. So if we're looking at, wow, my, you know, here's the, here's the skill here, right? So, oh, wow, I don't know if my kid can go grocery shopping because, you know, maybe there's too many people or maybe there's too many choices. Uh, then there's other options. Right now we have other ways to get groceries to our house. And maybe we start using something like that. And we, again, need to start thinking more creatively than you know, maybe what we are used to from having been, been uh, from our upbringing, um, and also just what society expects. Uh, I remember when I first started using grocery deliveries, people looked at me like, "Why are you doing that? You know, or, or, isn't it? Uh, that just seems weird." And now. Right. It's like a normal thing. So, again, I just use that as an example to think about 
being really creative when you're working with the transition plan and making sure we look at all of the resources that are out there to help people live more independently uh, so that, you know, they feel like they can do things on their own. And that is the goal here. And it goes way beyond academics. Um, I believe if you listened in earlier, I, I don't remember talking about the academic piece here. This is really about independent living uh, outside post high school. So if one of the goals and the vision is to attend uh, a schooling post high school, so two-year college, four-year college, uh, vocational school, whatever, um, what is needed for that? Now, maybe that's where academics, right, might play into uh, readiness for college. Um, but there are so many other pieces that go into independent living and college is only one of them. So, um, and it, it might not be a choice for everyone. Um, however, employment and independent living skills and being part of your community kind of are part of everyone's daily living. So uh, with that, um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. And if you have any other suggestions or tools that you use, I always love to hear other people's uh, resources and ideas, and I would love to share them with the listeners. So um, thank you so much for listening in, and I'll talk to you all soon. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching, and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.